Hello, and welcome to episode four of Making Media Now. I'm Michael Azevedo, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with award-winning filmmaker Josh Seftel. Filmmakers Collaborative member Josh Seftel is a 2017 Emmy nominee and was a Peabody Award finalist for creating the landmark series The Secret Life of Muslims, a poignant and insightful documentary series that examined Islamophobia and what it meant to be Muslim in America. Josh also directed the breakthrough Emmy Award-winning series Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the feature film War, Inc., starring John Cusack, Marissa Tomei, and Ben Kingsley, and is a contributor to Ira Glass's This American Life and CBS Sunday Morning, which has been featuring his hugely popular series of virtual conversations with his 83-year-old mother. Josh is also the founding director of the Brooklyn-based Smarty Pants Productions, a filmmaking venture that creates documentaries, commercials, feature films, and branded content. One of Josh's latest projects is called Self-Evident, which is now airing on PBS Digital Studios. The series asks the compelling question, what does it really mean to be an American today? Here is the trailer. You could say 2020 was interrupted. But life goes on. This is your story. You fell in love. marched in the streets. You shared a drink. You changed the melody. You made new friends. Hey, Dave. And you covered new ground. You tried. You failed. Everything feels like a lot right now. And you tried again. Breathe in, two, three. You're still telling your story. Do matter. In a year of uncertainty, your perseverance <laughs> is something we can count on. It's self-evident. Subscribe to PBS Voices for self-evident and other great shows. And now, my conversation with Josh Seftel. Thank you for joining me today, Josh Seftel. Josh, where are you um, speaking to me from today? Hey, I'm in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm at home with my um, family. My two daughters and my wife are in the other room. You may hear them uh, now and again during this talk. So uh, yeah, we're home. It's right before Thanksgiving, so we're um, getting ready for the holiday. Have you called Brooklyn home for some time? Yeah, I've lived here for about 10 years, and I've been in the city for about 20 years and prior to that, I was in Boston for more than a decade making films there. You know, when we uh, started planning the Making Media Now podcast uh, and we were looking at our roster of filmmakers, collaborative members, uh, your name immediately leapt to the top of the list of people that we want to chat with. Um, I had the pleasure of chatting with you about a year and a half ago for an interview that showed up on the uh, FC blog and really enjoyed that conversation. As I've enjoyed your work through the years, the uh, multiple varieties of your work, I will add. Most recently, uh, you brought great delight to myself and my girlfriend when we were watching a, a piece on CBS Sunday Morning, the conversations with your mother. And I hadn't realized how far back those went. 
can you can you tell me a little bit about the yeah. origins of the conversations with your mom? I guess going back all the way to the um, my mom on movies days. That's right. Yeah, we've been doing it for se- I think seven years. Yeah. So maybe longer. Um, yeah, the, the way that came about was uh, it, it's the, it's sort of a sad story in some ways, but with a happy ending. Um, my when my father passed away more than a decade ago, my mom was alone and we were worried about her. And so the first thing we thought of doing was like, well, how can we connect with her? Maybe we should get her an iPad and we could do FaceTime with her. And, you know, I have two sisters and a brother-in-law and they, they were, some people were doubtful and they said, she'll never learn to use it. She, you know, she can't figure it out. She, she, it'll be too overwhelming. And we just said, let's try it. So we got her the iPad and we taught her how to do FaceTime. And next thing I knew, we were having these great conversations. You know, as a filmmaker, the first thing I thought was, I've got to record these. These are, <laughs> these are amazing. They're hilarious. They're heartwarming. And I, I just started recording a couple of them and just playing around with them, you know, like editing them down. You know, I'd take like a 20-minute phone call and edit it down to two minutes, the two sort of funniest minutes. And, and I, so I made one episode and I put it on YouTube and it kind of caught on. Next thing I knew, we were, um, you know, getting interviewed by some radio. We were on NPR a couple of times. We were on um, CBS Sunday Morning. I think the cover of the Boston Globe magazine, you know, because they, people found the story to be very heartwarming in that it was, uh, you know, this sort of um, story of loss and then reinvention or, and reconnection. Sure. Um, you know, we sort of found a way my mom and I found a new way to connect um, with my dad gone. And it was through technology and through this like very, you know, intimate conversations that were really mostly funny, but they're, I think they share a perspective of um, from a a person and who's of an age that you just don't hear that perspective enough, I think in, in popular culture. So I just think there people really are drawn to it because it's 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 different because it's uh, actually kind of fresh even though it's old. <laughs> and you're in, you're in Brooklyn, and where is she? She's in Florida, in Sarasota, Florida. And so you know, over the last several years, like these conversations, these little videos, besides being on YouTube, they've um, they play in movie theaters. In fact, they play in I think something like forty percent of the country's movie theaters, they're in the pre-roll section. So when you come in and sit down and the mo- before the movie starts, um, they'll play these conversations with us. So I think lots of people have seen them and maybe don't even realize they have. Um, and then we are regular, um, regularly on CBS Sunday morning as well, where we have these conversations. And in particular, with you know during the quarantine period and the pandemic, we've been doing them. And we changed the name of the series from My Mom on Movies to my mom in quarantine. Yes. And she kind of gives her perspective of what it's like to be an 83-year-old in Florida in quarantine, which is, you know, you're not hearing that perspective enough. And I think it's, she has insight that is refreshing and um, a lot of humor about things, um, I, I, which I really appreciate. Uh, there's a positivity and uh, an unpredictableness. You know, I feel like when you hear the voices of older people portrayed in the media and in movies and TV shows, it's often very predictable. It's, you know, cranky, rigid, 
stuck in another time. And my mom is, you know, she like follows pop culture and she knows what's going on and she has a, a take on everything. I'm always amazed. So um, I feel like she brings an insight that that is really refreshing. What do you think Thanksgiving is going to be like this year? I'm probably going to be by myself. It's really sad because that is my favorite holiday. That's when I got to see everybody. Maybe there will be less arguments, though, this year. People find a way to argue. What advice do you have for people who feel sad or hopeless right now? I think you have to appreciate being alive. There are good things happening. You still can cook a great meal. I have a couple of friends that come over. I just got another granddaughter. Hi, Grandma. Hi. Do you want to see the baby? Yeah, I do. Oh, my God. Get a little closer if you can. Oh. Well, we wish you could be here in person. Yeah, I wish I could, too. I'd want to hold her and touch her little cheeks. We need help changing diapers. That's always a problem, isn't it? <laughs> did this exercise w- with your mom, did it, um, did it lead to you learning anything about your mom that you hadn't known before or uh, sort of assessing the way she communicates differently? Absolutely. I mean, definitely. Yes, it's, it's like this ongoing conversation we're having that has been going on for seven years now where I'm just constantly asking her questions about things I wonder about and about our past and, and also just her opinion on things. And it's really, it's, it's just fun because we, you know, like, look, we, when we're with our parents, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 50 in my fifties, early fifties, you know, when we're with our parents, we, I, I think a lot of times we're just, you know, generally talking about like the the workings of the day. Like, okay, where are we going to go for lunch, or what are we going to do next, or how are you going to get to the airport, or like that sort of thing. Um, and there's not enough time spent on just, you know, exploring and having uh, conversations about about life and the world around us. And and this permits us this this medium where we turn on the recorder and suddenly we're transported to a world where all we're supposed to be doing is connecting um, sure. on a personal level. And that's by setting it that, uh, setting that time aside and calling it that um, it kind of, it creates this space where we, ha- where that we have, where it's, it's like a cherished space where we just, we're just connecting and enjoying um, each other's company. Does she have, do you, do you get the sense that she's aware of how, both wonderfully humorous and insightful and and kind of philosophical she is i think so i yeah. mean she she is a natural and you, you know i hope you can play a clip uh or two from from the the series Definitely. here but it's you know she's a natural and she gets it she has a, a, an awareness um of her humor her dry humor and um, I think she's kind of a comic genius. I mean, I'm just the, I'm just the interviewer. You're the straight I, guy. I'm the straight guy. I'm just uh, there to ask her questions. And I do, as her son, I do think I kind of know the right questions to ask. Sure. Um, and it's kind of a dance because she knows. I don't tell her what I'm going to ask, but she knows what I'm going to ask. And, and she's always ready for it. And uh, it's really fun. 
has she achieved a level of uh, celebrity in her Florida community amongst oh her? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, it's, it is so funny to be around. Um, you know, at the, in addition to being in movie theaters and on CBS, she's also sort of the, the face of the Sarasota Film Festival. Is so, she really? um, yeah, so, and which is her hometown. And so when you go to the Sarasota Film Festival and you sit down and the movie starts, every movie starts with a clip from her. And either she's telling you to turn off your cell phone or she's telling you a story or something, or she's reviewing another movie that's going to be playing at the festival. Um, and it's really, you know, it's funny stuff. And so when we, when I went to the film festival with her a couple of years ago, we were walking, it was in a multiplex in downtown Sarasota. We're walking down that long carpeted, you know, hallway in, in that every multiplex has. And people were going wild. I mean, people were pointing at her and waving and people were following her from behind and people were asking her for her autograph and wanting to take pictures with her. And it was unbelievable. I mean, I felt like I was walking around with Brad Pitt or something. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and she, she said to me afterward, she said, Josh, now I know what it's like to be famous and I never want to be famous. Oh, wow. <laughs> so wow. She did, what an she insight. Did, she didn't love it, but I think she does like it. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is great. They're just, you know, they're just delightful and they're, they're heartwarming in, in, in a completely authentic way. Um, so thank yeah, you. Those, those are fantastic. I'll um, tell her. <laughs> so in, in addition to these wonderful conversations with your mom, what else has been keeping you busy these days? I would say particularly uh, since, you know, COVID, kind of forced everybody to make an adjustment and make a pivot. Yeah, well, yeah, that was a it was crazy. I mean, we we um we were really busy. I have a, I have a production company in Brooklyn called Smarty Pants, Smarty Pants Pictures and and we were in the midst of doing I think something like 22 different projects at once. Uh some of them are documentaries, some of them are branded content and commercials. Um a couple of narrative projects, um, a musical, uh, a a musical number that we're going to film a bunch of different things. And, you know, overnight, all of our production just got shut down and it was shocking. You know, it was suddenly I have this staff of like, you know, 12 full-time people and we were looking at each other and saying, what, what's going to happen? What are we going to do next? And, um, and then within a week or so, these new kinds of projects started coming in. You know, they were, a lot of them were based around the pandemic. A mm-hmm. lot of them were, were client-based um, situations where they said, look, we need to communicate something to our community and we don't know how to do it right now. Can you help us? And we were involved with trying to find solutions for all these brands and, you know, universities and, all different clients that we've had in the past were coming to us and saying like, help us figure out what to do next. And it's, it was really fun and challenging. Like how do you embrace what we can do right now, which is, you know, what we're doing right now, which is Mm -hmm. a zoom call. Uh, How do you embrace that and make it work as a film? And so we were able to figure it out in some ways that I think were fairly successful. Um, In fact, we just, we just produced an entire 
uh, PBS series that was shot remotely. An, an entire we, series. An entire series. Um, it's called Self Evident. It's on it's on um, PBS Digital Studios on on YouTube, and um, it's a ten part series. We're just delivering the last couple of episodes, and it is um, we shot in over thirty states across the country, and we uh, you know we told all different kinds of stories, and it was all remote. You know, we do the remote interviews. We would. Um, do remote shoots. We would have people shoot their own things too. And then we would piece it all together and, you know, it works. It's, it's, it's compelling. If you find the right stories and the right characters, uh, it can be really compelling. And it's, it's a whole new way of thinking about, about production. So was this something that was in the pipeline prior to COVID or? No, it, no. It, it, wow. So it, it, it happened during COVID. Yeah. And was there any COVID-related impetus to it? In other words, you know, did it feel com- uh, particularly timely to produce something like this during COVID, or just was that just coincidence? So the project was in the pipeline at PBS before COVID, but but they came to us after the pandemic started, and um, the idea at that point was how do we portray America in 2020. How do we tell the story of America and particularly of the idea of perseverance in 2020? So it was very, in the end, related to the pandemic and how we think about it and how we survive it. And so all the stories that we told were some version of how are we getting by? How are we, how are we getting through this as a nation? And we tried, and that's why we shot in so many different states, is that we really wanted to show the country as much as we could as a whole and, and to give this patchwork portrait of who we are as a people right now and how we're getting by. How did you approach that from a production standpoint in terms of meeting all of the necessary protocols, safety protocols, but also wanting to adhere to a certain uh, production values uh, well, or broadcast quality material? Sure. I mean, in that case, we, we kind of just had to do what we could do, you know, and, and, and that's something that I think people are realizing um, during this pandemic. I mean, you flip on CNN and like, you could see a really bad looking interview, <laughs> you know, and somehow that's okay right now, you know, and so certainly we weren't, you know, we were trying to make things look as good as they could. Um, and, and hopefully better than a lot of those bad CNN interviews you see, but, but, um, but we were, you know, we understood that there were limitations and, um, that said, you know, you give someone, you ship someone an iPhone 11 and give them some good instructions and you can get some great material. And that's what we've been doing. We've been sent, I, I don't know how many iPhone 11s we own right now as a company, but we bought a whole bunch of them. And we just send people packages. We send them the phone and a microphone and a ring light. And, you know, it's, it looks pretty good. It sounds, sounds good. Um, it works for the stories we're telling. Yeah, necessity being the mother of invention has certainly never been uh, as, as vividly true as, yes. as this period of time. Definitely. So you said 22 projects uh, in some various form of production. When you wake up every day, how do you figure out what you're going to be that day? Are you running the company? Are you watching budgets? Are you, you know, sort of in a visionary mode thinking about project number 23? How do you manage all that? So I'm fortunate that I have an amazing staff. 
And I have people who help me run the company and, and figure out how to keep that pipeline going and how to, um, you know, make sure that everything gets done and that we hire enough people and have the right teams put together. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about either doing two things, either thinking about what's next and trying to think of ideas and make connections and, and get projects off the ground, um, or I'm directing the projects that, re- that I'm really excited about. And it's a combination of those two things. So that's, I would say it's probably about 50-50 with my time where I'm either directing something. Um, like a few weeks ago, I, we made a film uh, at, in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, at um, the Oceanographic Institute. And we, we, we made a film about the, um, the submarine pilot there, the, the pilot of the Alvin submarine, which is a you know, deep sea vessel. And we spent a week just hanging out with him and shooting in person. Wow. You know, so we are doing, we are doing in-person production, despite all this talk of remote work. Um, we are doing in-person things and, and that's, its whole, that's a whole other thing, which is really has been interesting and, and challenging. Um, but, um, but we are doing production. I mean, we, we shot a Cadillac commercial a few weeks ago. Um, we're doing, we're shooting a Delta commercial in a couple weeks. Um, so we're doing stuff out there in the world and it's much harder. Things take longer. There's all kinds of protocol you have to follow. You have to have an EMT on set. You have to take your temperatures every couple hours. You have to get tested. Um, it's, it's really, um, you're only allowed to have a certain number of people at any time in one space. You have to be spaced out and, you know, make sure there's enough room between people and all that stuff. But production is happening and, um, and we're doing it. And it's, you know, it's for the time being anyway, that's what's happening. And it's, it's nice to be back out there. Do you, do you feel like once COVID is a thing of the past, which, you know, we all hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel coming fairly soon, that henceforth, anybody who says that production is stressful, they're, they're just not allowed to talk because <laughs> <laughs> the criteria has changed. Uh, I think that's a good point. Um, I'm sure we'll find new things to stress about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm curious when, when you said that, um, you know, you're, you occupy yourself primarily with two roles, uh, actually directing or thinking about what's next. Do you feel like there's, there's something, there's some element, there's some quality that makes something a smarty pants production? Like what's, what's your differentiator in that regard? What do you mm-hmm. look for? Well, you know, we started out in documentary. We've had such a, I don't know how to just even describe it, like unusual journey as a company and as, you know, me as a filmmaker, um, from, you know, starting out in pure documentary, um, to, um, doing stuff for, you know, work for CBS news to contributing to, um, this American life, the, the, um, radio show to directing, um, queer eye for the street guy, the original series to, to directing movies like war incorporated, which was a, um, political satire starring John Cusack and Marissa Tomei and Ben Kingsley. Super fun um, movie. Thanks, thanks. To to directing commercials for Fortune 100 companies. To doing you know a series with my mom on YouTube. Um, it's just such a weird mix of 
of things that you don't often see all under one roof or by one person or one company. Um, so, it, so to answer your question, it's a hard question to answer. But what I would say is, that maybe ties everything together is that our specialty is like, um, well, I guess I, it goes back to my me getting into the business. So I, uh, let me jump back to that sure because I think that is the where the that is the what ties it all together. So when I graduated from college and went to Tufts University, I um, I was going to be a doctor and not just any doctor, but I was going to, you know, I had plans. I was going to go to med school, join doctors without borders, travel the world, help people in need, do good things for people, try to make the world a better place. That was my plan. And then after my senior year of college, I had this opportunity to go to Romania and to uh, make my first film, which was involved me living in orphanages where there had been, you know, over a hundred thousand abandoned children in Romania at that time. Communism had just fallen. And I was there um, with a borrowed video camera, sleeping over in orphanages, filming terrible conditions. I come back, I make this documentary about the abandoned children. It's on, it was on WGBH and then it was on public TV stations across the country. And, you know, that was my first film and it led. Did you feel like you were going there as a, as a, as a public health advocate or as a, as a, as a filmmaker? What, what was your impression of yourself when you went to right. Romania? I mean, it was a version of the doctors without borders fantasy. You know, it was, uh, it was me saying, okay, I don't have my medical school you know, I don't, I don't have my degree yet, but um, I can, let's try to do something here that's similar. And the idea was to make this film that would, would um, educate people and open people's eyes and hopefully lead to, to positive change. And so when the film came out uh, on public television, you know, it led to, um, it raised a lot of money for the cause. And it also led to the American adoption of, of thousands of Romanian children. And, you know, I, I said to myself, like, wow, this filmmaking thing is really powerful, you know, and maybe I can use film as the change agent um, instead of going to medical school. And that was when I, that's when I first started exploring that idea, because I was intending to go to medical school after I made the film. And, but then I sort of started to change my mind. And so to answer the question, the, you know, going back, I feel like if there's something, if there's some shared DNA across all of our work, it is, you know, this idea of trying to shine a light on things that are important, trying to, in some small way, and, you know, I try to be realistic about this, in some small way to make the world a better place with the, with the work we do. And that may be trying to show the goodness of people in a film and maybe making a film about immigra immigration. So we understand immigrants or making a series about um, American Muslims um, to try to educate people and about this group of people and what they're really like and, and how they may be being misrepresented in a lot of the mainstream media projects like that. And even our commercial projects, a lot of them are about goodness and about um, kindness and about um, connecting um, with people around the world. And, and there's, there's, there are themes like that through all of our work that I think is ultimately 
about trying to make the world a better place, but not in a boring way, not in an earnest way. Often we use humor. Uh, often we we really try to make people laugh and entertain them and and to dazzle them if we can with the powers of cinema. And you know that's the goal. It's to um, to try to do some good, generally yeah, it, speaking. It, it seems to me that 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 you 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 hit the nail on the head when you said you know not it's not in a um, sort of eat your broccoli kind of a way by any means. It's the, uh, the there's a a technique and a a humor and a humanity to so much of the of your work that comes across that I think makes it so accessible and therefore disarming to the viewer. I'm, I'm thinking in particular of your series, uh, Secret Life of Muslims. When you and I last spoke, I think you had just wrapped season two. Can you talk a little bit about that whole experience and how that came together and, you know, how that reception of that, either, you know, your feeling on how your expectations were met or succeeded? So we, so that's, that project was um, an idea that we had, which, you know, the idea was I was looking around and I was seeing a lot of Islamophobia um, going on in our country. This was, uh, you know, like five, six years ago, seven years ago. And, um, and we had this idea of like, let's do a series where we just talk to American Muslims, put them in front of the camera and let them tell their story in their way and make these short bite-sized films, you know, two, three minutes long and put them on the web and see what happens and so that's how it started. And we went around and tried to get some grants to do this. And it was kind of slow going. And then we, um, and then Donald Trump started to announce his candidacy for president. And, you know, suddenly some of the places that we had gone to for grants that who had said no, reached out to us and said, hey, what's going on with that series about Muslims? And you know, they were interested in supporting it because they saw um, suddenly a, a, a real relevance for it. So we got a few grants and we set off and we, we did this series and, you know, not really knowing what would happen, but we, we had a partnership with Vox. They put the, the films out there. We also had a partnership with USA Today. And we had, so we had this sort of multi-platform approach where the films were being distributed in more than one place with the hope that they would reach lots of different kinds of audiences. We also worked with AJ Plus, and that was season one. And, you know, to our surprise and delight, uh, the series got, gosh, like 35 million views in the first season. Wow. And, um, and we got nominated for an Emmy Award, and we were um, Peabody Award finalists. We were nominated for the IDA Award. And so it was really, it was really great. But the best part was we were getting comments on social media from people saying like, oh my God, I, I've never met a Muslim person and now I feel like I have for the first time and it's really helped me to understand. And we got lots of comments like that, which was amazing. You know, it was exactly what we were, were hoping for. And like some of the most exciting comments were things like, I remember one young woman, I think she was probably in her 20s, on Facebook posted one of our videos and linked and, you know, tagged her mom and said, mom, watch this. This is what I've been trying to explain to you. Please watch this. And, you know, that's like to give people a tool um, or, you know, a resource to be able to share with the people they love, to try to explain something to them, to try to, to open bridge their minds, that gap, sure. to bridge the gap is like, 
what better thing could you be doing than that? So I, I was, it was very rewarding um, to work Would on that series. Uh, season three? Yes. In fact, we're, we're delayed because of COVID and we really want to um, shoot it in person. But we're thinking we're going to shoot it, you know, hopefully in the spring um, or late winter. Um, we're really all lined up to do it. And this year we're going to do a musical as well, where we, we, have, we have a song that we wrote and um, that is, has been recorded. It was um, written by the, um, I don't know if you have seen this series, Big Mouth on Netflix. Oh, sure. Yeah, um, that's hilarious. It's a, it's a very playful song that was written by their composer who we collaborated with. And um, I think it'll be very amusing for people to see when, when we can finally shoot it, which will hopefully be in a few months. That's fantastic. The, the commercial work that you do, how do you, as, a, as an individual and, and maybe as a, as a company, how do you vet who you want to work with? That's a good question. In other words, who do we say no to? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think we're lucky in that people can look at our body of work and look at our site and see um, what we do and what our sort of power stroke is, you know? And so, um, you know, if you go to smartypants.nyc and look at our work, you'll, you'll get who we are. And, um, you know, you can't, it's really hard to win a commercial job if you haven't already done work like that. Sure. So in some sense, we're fortunate that we wouldn't even be considered for a lot of the things that we would probably never want to do. Um, because it's just not in our, um, it's not in our, in our sort of uh, skill set. So, um, so we're lucky that we do a lot of work for brands, but it's generally like brands that care about issues that are trying to communicate something important um, about making the world better, about connecting, about broadening our minds, um, building bridges. Uh, we also do a lot of work for nonprofits and for um higher ed. And usually those stories are also very positive and um, not to say they can't be really creative and playful and inventive, which is what we love to do. But um, at the heart, there's a, something of meaning, at least of meaning to us. As you, as you kind of look at the trajectory of your career, how do you see your kind of visual vocabulary falling into place and maybe expanding I'm always interested in hearing, particularly from directors, about how, how they literally visually see the world either has evolved and how that translates from project to project. Because quite obviously, you work in a visual medium and, and your work, I think, is also marked by a, a stylistic elegance. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of that is based on like to some degree is it's based on like what you have access to, you know? So like the resources you have access to. So like when I started out, it was me shooting with a high eight video camera. I don't know if you remember high eight video. I absolutely cameras, but, do. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was me out there with a high eight video camera doing sound myself um, on a little like mixer on top of the camera and figuring out how to get the best pictures I could with, with maybe somewhat limited skills. Um, and, you know, you find a way to do it and you find the right stories that work for that format. So being in an, in an orphanage, you know, 
underground in a basement filming kids with a high video camera and having it look gritty and handheld and unlit, it actually kind of works for that subject matter. And, and those were the kind of things I was doing. Did and you then, feel at that time like you had, like you were in possession of a visual aesthetic? Yeah, and it was it was based on, I would say, the documentaries I had seen from the 60s and 70s. You know, um, people like Pennebaker and Maisels and um, other folks that were kind of my idols. That just handheld, like, get in there, get close, get the moment try to just make it clear and be there for when the, the thing happens that you want to capture, you know, the most important moment. And, um, and that's, that was the main thing was just getting in there and, and getting people to feel comfortable enough. That moment could unfold before your camera. That was the skill. That was my first skill I was learning. And then over time, as I got access to more resources, you know, whether it was, um, you know, doing, um, work for, you know, I started doing work for CBS News and suddenly I had, you know, bigger, better cameras and uh, jib arms and steady cams and things like that, that I could play with. Um, I started to think differently and to say, and to expand the vision a little bit and to lean into style a little more. And that carried through with Queer Eye. And then of course, doing a movie like War Inc. was a whole other thing. You know, suddenly I had a 150 person crew and I could just say like, Hey, let's do, you know, it'd be cool. What if we did this? And suddenly 150 people are scurrying to light that, that scene and, and make it happen. Was so, that, was that liberating, overwhelming or both? Oh, both, <laughs> both. I mean, it's, it's terrifying because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to make a mistake every, every minute you're bleeding money. You know, you're, you're, um, you know, so you want to make smart decisions that of things that don't have to be reshot or that you know are going to hopefully come out good. And so, yeah, it's it's scary, but it, there are also many times where I was like, I would just you know have an idea that I thought was good, and everyone was set into motion to make it happen, and I just sit there and I'd be like, man, this is incredible. Like I'm so lucky that I'm getting to do this that I can just say like I have an idea and this is you know. I want to move the camera from here to here as the person's walking across and there's a hundred extras behind them doing this and that. And people were like, yeah, let's do it. And we would do it. And it was like, it just felt so exciting to be able to, um, you know, you're playing God in a way, right? You're, sure. you're yeah. creating these moments that are pretty epic. Expanding and, uh, the bounds of what's possible. Absolutely. And so that was real. I, it was really exciting. Um, and, and, you know, with the commercial work, there's still a lot of that, like big crews and, you know, big ideas and, um, you know, trying to make things look really beautiful and, or, you know, or scary or intense or gritty or whatever the creative calls for, but it's, um, it's exciting. But then, you, you know, then I turn to things like my mom on movies where, you know, with my mom, where it's, it's purely just about the connection. It goes back to the early work right. where it was just like, let's get that, let's capture that moment. It doesn't need to look beautiful. It doesn't need to be lit well. It doesn't need to be on a good camera. It just needs to be authentic. It just needs to resonate with people um, on the most basic level. And 
doing that work, that kind of work, I still love that. You know, it's like, you don't have to worry about anything. I just put a iPhone on a tripod and hit record and I don't need to have anyone else there. I don't need to tell someone how to light it. I don't need to tell the camera person how to hold the camera. I can just do it myself. And that's, I love doing that too. That's liberating in its own sort of way. Unless your mom is handing back very rigorous studio notes. <laughs> Good point. Luckily, she's a great collaborator and she <laughs> kind of, she, she's willing to go with my ideas. So it, although it sounds like you have remained very busy during um, COVID times, I know a lot of people have had more downtime than usual. And I'm always curious what, where people are finding inspiration these days that sort of free, feed their creativity, you know, whether it's from through art, be it film or literature or music. Is uh, anything over the past eight or nine months been particularly impactful for you? You know, maybe some people have had more time on their hands. I, I, I unfortunately am not one of them. Um, about three months ago, um, we had our second child. Oh. And, uh, and up a few months before that, we were getting ready for it. So really, since the pandemic You are a man started, who likes to stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a, it's a big one. So we are raising our, you know, our three and a half month old daughter and our house is not quiet. Um, it's not calm, uh, but it's exciting. And then I have another daughter who's four and a half who we're taking care of and raising. So there's a lot going on here and not a lot of time. Um, that said, um, the places I'm drawing inspiration, um, one is that we try to watch something every night with my daughter, my older daughter. And so we've managed to figure out, you know, the very best movies on Disney plus, um, that she can watch and that we can watch and still enjoy. Um, so some of the Pixar movies have been great and we've seen them countless times, uh, you know, finding other old movies and things that, that we all would like, like we just watched the umbrellas of Cherbourg together, uh, which was really enjoyable. In fact, that was the first, that was actually the first film my my four year old daughter ever saw. We showed wow. it to her when she was like I think one or one and a half, and she loved it, and she still loves it. So, um, you know, trying to find those films that thread the needle where a kid would be entertained, but we would also uh, feel satisfied as well. But then the other the other place that I'm finding inspiration, and this is kind of a little strange, but it's there's this podcast that I've been listening to. And I, I hesitate to even um, talk about it, but it's, um, it's because it's, it's kind of, it's a bit bro-y, which is not really my thing, but it's... Uh, you it's contain fun. multitudes, that's, that's <laughs> obvious. So <laughs> feel right. free. So, so it's, it's this podcast called The Rewatchables. And I, I think they've been criticized for not being inclusive enough, but it's, um, it's part of the... Um, the Ringer Network and Bill Simmons, sure, uh, who is a was a sports writer, is a sports yep. writer, Boston guy, a, a Boston guy, smart guy, um, and it's actually really captivating. And what they do is they'll get two or three people. Often it's th two or three guys, but they've been trying to mix in women and and people of color more. I think these days, but and they'll and they'll spend like literally two hours talking about. A, a great movie 
And they're usually mainstream movies that are, you know, somewhere between five and 25 years old. Um, and they'll spend more time talking about the movie than the movie is long. You know, they'll, they'll talk for two, two and a half hours about an hour and a half long movie. And I've just really been enjoying these conversations. And it, it feels like you got to watch the movie again um, and then have this conversation, have the kind of conversation, I guess, that I used to have when I had more time. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, I don't, I have two kids. One of them is three and a half months old. There's no time to sit around and talk about a movie for two hours uh, with my friends, but which is something I probably used to do all the time. But I can listen to these guys do it, uh, you know, as I'm falling off, drifting off to sleep or in the shower or whatever. And it's sort of fulfilling some part of, of my life that doesn't exist anymore. And it's, I find it to be actually quite inspiring because it reminds me of what, it reminds me of what I love about movies. And um, it reminds me of moments I love in movies. And it gets me thinking about filmmaking in a, in kind of a, a newly inspired way. Um, so I, I've been really enjoying that, that podcast and, and would recommend it. It's, it's rewatchables. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Excellent. So we are recording this conversation on the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, what will Thanksgiving look like for you? And most importantly, will you be having a call with your mom? Yeah. So we're, we've already started cooking. Um, and it's going to be, um, a small Thanksgiving. It's going to be my wife and my two daughters and I, and then we're going to do a zoom call in the morning with my, um, sisters and my mom and my nieces and nephews. So my mom will be involved. Um, we don't have a planned recording to do, but I'm thinking about what the next episode will be with her. You know, the last one was about, um, was the autumn edition of my mom in quarantine. So it's, it's almost winter. And I think it's time for a new, to start thinking about a new episode. So it may involve talking about Thanksgiving and some other things. So we'll see. And anything that um, we want to keep on our radar for the next 60, 90 days or handful of months um, that uh, Smarty Pants uh, is putting out there for folks? Well, we're always adding new things, uh, you know, on our website and the new work we're doing. I'm trying to think of what would be exciting. I mean, I'm really excited about this musical that we're doing. It's going to have like a big dance number in it. And um, again, the the guy who wrote the song is the composer from Big Mouth. I think we're going to have to wait till the vaccine is probably like in distribution sure, <laughs> before yeah. we can uh, maybe shoot that one. Uh, but I hope that'll be very soon. Well, Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. This is this has really been enjoyable. And thank you, uh, thanks, Michael. I, uh, I I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And you too. Uh, you I will too. look forward to more of your conversations with your mom and all the other great creative work that comes out of your out of your production company. Great. It's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. I love Filmmakers Collaborative and, and uh, love the partnership we've had over the last few decades. 